Let us pray. Father God, as we just prayerfully sang in song, speak, O Lord, and give us ears to hear through the power of your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A disclaimer to start. We are only going to be talking about the office of elder today. In two chapters, we'll talk about deacon. But I say that right off the bat because as 30 minutes starts coming along and we're still on elders, I don't want you going, oh no, oh no. I remember as a child, I developed a routine of how I would start the morning. And it always involved the San Diego Union Tribune. See, children, there used to be these things called newspapers that would come to your house daily. And uh, they were, it's how you figured out what was going on in the world, not through scrolling on a phone or a device or a computer. And there were always, it was always the same pattern. I would actually start in the sports section because I had to read all the articles about the sporting events I watched the night before because, you know, maybe they they caught something that I missed. And then I would go to the funnies. I had to make sure what was happening in the world of Charles Schultz, of Peanuts. I had to make sure I I knew what was going on with Calvin and Hobbes and of Garfield and of Farside and then occasionally Dilbert and the others. And then I would go to the front page and I would read the, the major stories, the major headlines. The Union Tribune had a San Diego section. I would then go into local news. And all of this was sort of part of my morning routine. And there was one section that always, when I was younger, I, I tended to avoid. I had older siblings, though, and they would occasionally ask for it when they were seeking a job or seeking maybe to look for an opportunity to buy a car or something else the classifieds or the help wanted section. It was boring. It was a monotonous section. It offered nothing to me that was entertaining. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in one sense, we have approached God's help wanted section, God's classifieds. And it, this chapter really defines God's resume for two roles. The role of elder, which we'll focus on today, and the role of deacon. And it helps give us as a church clarity on who should be charged or ordained to such roles. It's amazing to me how many churches will, for instance, I I always get emails from the EA. They let us know when there's an open pulpit within the EA, and I've actually had the opportunity to share those emails with others and help pastors find pulpits, but it's amazing to me how many times I'll see job descriptions, job desires for an elder or overseer for a church, and very few things are listed that are listed or come from this passage, come from God's classified act, comes from God's resume, and we here as a church are soon going to just ask the congregation to potentially nominate men for consideration for eldership. And so what this will look like is after our congregational meeting, there will be an opportunity for members of the church to submit names to Pastor Bruce and myself 
for consideration, and then we will walk down that road with names that are, are recommended and, and see if this might be a calling of God. And yet that calling is tied into this passage. And so we're going to look at that today. And this is also a very important definition to understand because as we continue to be in a season of societal decline, and yes, societal decline, as we all kind of have been made aware of, is alive and well, it is most important to heed the wisdom of God in moments like this. When you have a church like this one that has been here for almost 300 years, this church has survived several periods of societal decline. It survived civil wars, revolutionary wars. It survived the godless practice of slavery. It's helped weather such storms. And if we were to go outside in the cornerstone, we would see etched into the side some of the pivotal moments of this church's history, names of elders. Names of elders right before the Revolutionary War. Names of elders during the second major building project of this church right before the Civil War. Names of elders right before the first of two world wars. And, it's and in those names are individuals who helped serve as overseer during those tumultuous periods of time. And so if these walls could talk, the stories they'd have, but ultimately the church is still here, and it has weathered those storms, and elders make up a significant portion of that. And so we need to look at God's resume, God's job description, in the classified section of Scripture, and the help-wanted section, to understand where, how we should nominate individuals, how we should consider them. You know, imagine if a French restaurant, like a five-star, Michelin-star rated French restaurant had, uh, was taking on a chef, where it was, whether it was a head chef or a, another chef, an assistant chef, and they asked nothing of the individual of if they could cook French food, French cuisine. You know, imagine if they hired a candidate whose most impressive dishes were peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and microwaved quesadillas. That would not be a wise resume to embrace. God is no different if we do not heed his help wanted, his description, um, then God will not bless it. And is it that God needs our help or God needs such individuals? No, actually, this is a quality of God from the very beginning. God is ultimately the, the overseer of all overseers, the elder of all elders. He is the head of the church. And yet God has always shown in Scripture, from the very beginning of Scripture, a desire to uniquely allow humanity to come alongside of him and to help in his work. It's not that God needed Adam. It's that God blessed Adam to be a part of his work. It's not that God needed Moses. It's that God blessed Moses to allow him to serve a role in his work. God wants to honor and love humanity, giving us all special jobs. Uh, as the fullness of this pastoral letter will show, that helps serve him for his namesake. And this role our Lord has given to some it's a special role 
and the only one in the church that is con um, considered that of an overseer. And this role is called noble by Paul. But let's be candid. Pastoring in America doesn't always seem to be noble. There are plenty of counterfeits on TV pretending to be them, and they can make a mess of it. There are plenty more who will never know who are abusive to their congregations in a variety of ways, or they are cowardly when it comes to teaching the fullness of the scriptures and the full counsel of God's word, or they are pastoring only for their own pride or prestige. It sorrows me that one of the individuals I thought was a great pastor of our age, Rabbi Zacharias, was found to be nothing more than a wolf after his death. But still, to be a true servant of this role, there is a nobility of it that can't be found elsewhere. I'm purposely not going to use this individual's name, but I remember a time about four years ago where in the same week, two notable individuals in my life, two notable individuals, one notable by the world standard and one notable to the seminary I was attending, died. One was the purveyor of America's most popular smut magazine. And I remember watching the news outlets then. If we think it's just been the past two years, the, the, the two news networks have been the problem. And they were upholding his life, this purveyor of America's most popular smut magazine, as that's the good life. That's the great life. That's the life that should be valued. They don't even recognize the irony that he had himself buried to, next to a woman who took her own life because the, the things that she engaged in, in part made her feel so hollow and empty. Even though she became a cultural icon because of him. They don't even see the irony of celebrating his life and his burial next to a woman that in part he helped impoverish. And it was celebrated. And it was upheld as this wonderful life. This life to be admired. This great benefiter of women's rights and women's empowerment. And I remember about two days later, I got a, an email sent out to all of us affiliated with RTS Orlando that one of the seminary professors had passed away. It didn't go to the major news networks. It didn't create headlines. But he died with his family surrounding him, multi-generations of family surrounding him. And he breathed out his last as one of his family members finished the final verse of Psalm 23. That's the good life. That's the noble life. That's the honored life. And the honored life is often missed by the worldly standards. But when Paul is talking about Nobility found in this role. It's not in the role itself. It's found in the unique blessing that serving Jesus in such a way, he extends by it. Now this word for overseer in the ancient world, it had several ways it was used. And honestly, all of its popular cultural uses, I do think, have relevance to understand the role of an elder overseer. One use of an overseer was for a tutor-student relationship. The overseer was built on the idea of being a teacher because the role does have an aspect of teaching to it. 
So what pitfalls do congregations do you think they might have or even when it comes to this role? Think about it maybe this way. Would a high school student ever want to take calculus on their own? No. I still, I, I have successfully avoided calculus in high school. My, my wife recently was like, do you want to help the kids learn in calculus? I said, no, 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 not at all. I have no idea how to do it. I mean, I, I could do geometry and algebra, but I skipped that one. A lot of times we see this idea of teaching reality. And, and this passage, we'll talk about it in certain, several areas. And we think to ourselves, oh, that's just about eloquence. Well, there's a lot of eloquent people. Joel Osteen could preach any number of pastors I know who are faithful under the table. He sounds wonderful. I, I, I think of a pastor in New York City who very foundational to my understanding I believe in why I believe it. A very powerful pastor who I've cried listening to sermons of. And lately, it seems like he's made the decision that he does not want to be disrespected from, by academia because God forbid the world thinks you're a fool. And he's essentially given up things I know he knows are biblically true. The idea, when this letter starts getting into the idea of an elder in teaching isn't even, you know, well, I prefer Bruce's teaching to Pastor Kevin's teaching or this person's teaching to that person's teaching. It's not that idea. The reality is the elder someone who is fixated and willing that the whole counsel of God be something that moves them and gives them direction and motivates them. So a teacher, and the teacher does not avoid teaching things that are hard to learn, a good teacher that is. A good teacher has the courage to do that. Also tied up into this word overseer was the idea of a watchman over a city. The watchman, of course, especially at night, made sure that invaders did not come in. We fortunately have not had this reality here at Old Goshenhoppen, but there is a reality that these, the, the office of elder needs to protect the church. Protect the church from those who would sow division, those who would spread Things that are counter to the gospel. Who would destroy us from within. That's a part of this overseer term that's being used. Another definition for the word overseer was one who commands soldiers. The, the commander must often decide. Is this a time to mount a defense? Even an attack? To move forward? I think COVID gave a great example of this. Throughout the country, pastors had to decide. Do you shut down? The most important hospitals that doubt the American landscape, and they're not called medical centers, they're called churches, gospel-believing churches. Or do we still allow uh, the opportunity for people to still come in to hear a healing word from Christ? That was a decision of a, that needed to be made by pastors all around the country. As a commander over God's army, as an overseer over a portion of that army, and lastly, an elder overseer is to be a guardian. That certain things are not to be messed with. For instance, why did we have a reformation? Because all throughout Western Europe, churches stopped being guardians of the true gospel. And so in order to protect the gospel, some soldiers had to break ranks 
from a previous commander who was no longer safeguarding that which he claimed to be a guardian over. And then Paul does something for which the ancient reader wouldn't have missed. Actually, the, verse 2 would have been striking to the ancient reader. He begins to describe that for this role of overseer, that there was so much cultural language and cultural connotation with it, it would be established by largely morality. The Greeks, when it came to the priesthood, they used to sell it to the highest bidder. Actually, the Western church during the Dark Ages and, and largely during the Middle Ages would often do this. They would sell the priesthood to the highest bidder. It was a great way to fundraise for your temple of Artemis, your temple of Zeus. And powerful families wanted people in position of power in these temples. And by the way, I have been in churches, not necessarily as an elder of them, but where sometimes I've wondered if churches have made decisions on elders based on pop pocketbook realities rather than God's classified ads, taking the principle of ancient Greece rather than of sacred scripture. Romans did it another way. It was all about who you knew. It was about connections. Caesar it's himself, of course, was uh, the Pontifex Maximus, a title that has been preserved by the Roman Catholic Church for their pope, but it was first found in Caesar. And it was all about patronage and political gains that establish who would be the pastor or priest of their temples. And... Paul, in verse 2, is saying, not amongst you will that be found. Not amongst the true church. No, actually, the true church will be found in, a, in men and individuals who have a gospel clarity, a clarity of truth, what is truth, but also those who are not necessarily by their status. Let me catch up my notes. So Christ's church is to be different. The resume of an overseer isn't being made by how much money they have or how, even how they give to the church or who they know or who they're related to. I can think of how many ministries that have forced like a son into the pulpit and it does not usually turn out well. God's resume wants us to evaluate the morality of the man. And the standards of that morality are as follows. They must be above reproach, above criticism, which immediately creates trauma. Problems because one of the favorite pastimes Christians like us do to our shame is often find things to criticize. And if you're offended by me suggesting that we all like to criticize, well, wouldn't that be critical of you to believe that, that, I, you know, that I've been offensive? So you'd be guilty of it all the same. So what kind of criticism, though, is actually in mind? It's not just a general criticism that we are prone to make. I mean, if so, then Jesus, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, Jeremiah, Moses, and a whole host of great many others who were often criticized would not have been elders. Paul, also, yeah, to be included, and Timothy. No, the criticism here is that an individual being considered for the office has an active, lively, and abiding faith that is, general, is above reproach. And notice it's not a past above reproach, history above reproach, but it's that they are above reproach. I mean, 
The writer of this very letter began the letter in chapter 1 by saying he was the worst of all sinners. And so it's not that a past disqualifies. It's about the present workings of Christ within the individual. That basically when you look at this individual, it's hard for anyone to question their commitment to Christ because a faithfulness has been sustained within the community that shows the work of Christ. And does that mean that each category listed here will be an absolute strength for the individual? Of course not. But in each category, you can see God working in their lives to such a degree that none of these areas are easily challenged and criticized by another in a valid sense. The next item is that an elder is to be a husband of one wife. I don't want to get too sidetracked in this topic. I already made that mistake on Christmas Eve sermon. Sir, sermon. But a few things. This is, first off, this does not mean that elders need to be married. More on that in a moment. This also means that this does not mean that elders can't have a divorce in their past. Finest elder I have ever had the pleasure of serving with, outside of Bruce, of course, but really my mentor. He was divorced in his past. He had a biblical divorce. Godly man. This also isn't just, you also need to appreciate the reality of polygamy when you read this. And if you think that's just something in the ancient past, talk to a missionary in a Muslim country. <laughs> talk to a missionary in a fundamentalist Mormon era. Polygamy is still practiced not only by the second largest religion in the world, but even in places in the United States. I know I used to live close to southern Utah. The first thing we ever saw when we went to a furniture store moving to Las Vegas was a polygamist family searching and women of that family arguing for who would get the furniture set. So they would be disqualified for elder. But I, I don't think we're going to have Muslim candidates and, and fundamentalist Mormon candidates barking down our door. So we're, how does this apply to old gosh? It's fairly simple. You should see in the quality of the elder that ultimately they are a one-woman kind of guy. And that really represents, for the unmarried elder candidate, the greater reality is they are a one God kind of guy. They are committed and in love with Christ. That at the end of the day, they have a, a true love and that principle uh, for their bride or bridegroom if we're talking about Christ. That's intertwined with one another. Remember, Paul wasn't married when he wrote this letter. Timothy wasn't married as he wrote it. And so it, it's really an examining of the commitment that person has to their spouse. Next is to be sober-minded. And we're not talking about imbibing at this moment, but really this word links with self-control. There should be a degree of level-headedness. Being an elder is like being on a seesaw at times with people coming to you with every emotion or you hear ultimately every kind of comment you can imagine. I, I truly think in the totality of my ministry, I have heard it. at least some form of almost anything. Nothing new under the sun. I really can't think of anything I haven't heard. And, and I say this both in a positive sense, great comments of praise, 
or in a negative sense of great comments of criticism and, and even the realities of things I, I witnessed in ministry, deaths and, and, and all sorts of, of things. And there's this reality that, that you need to have a level-headedness that in being an elder, it's sort of like walking through a field of landmines. And the only way you won't blow up by stepping on one is by focusing foremost on Christ. The overseer has to be a level-headed. You've, you have to keep things in perspective in ways others don't have to within a church. Going back to the commander imagery helps here. When shell fire starts landing and the soldiers start scattering, an overseer needs to be level-headed enough to stay their ground and rally others to hold a godly position. And when elders fail in that because we are human and we do fail, apologies must follow such failures. But the call is to be of sober conduct. Elders must also be respectable and hospitable. I love that we now have meal fellowship downstairs after worship. It's, it's, we're being blessed by being able to share hospitality with one another. They should delight in extending hospitality. Overseers, again, as we talked about earlier, also need to be able to teach. But again, remember that even Noah preached for 130 years and no one was moved by his preaching. Does that mean that Noah was not a faithful pastor or preacher? Of course not. He was faithful to the truths of Scripture. That's the quality that you find in, in an elder. The idea isn't defined by necessarily how engaging they are. It, it, it's an it's a element that's helpful, but it's also how faithful they are to the Scripture. Pick a wise elder based more on what they will ultimately teach and not how they will ultimately teach. The list continues on in verse 3. Elders are not to be a drunkard. Notice that's in the present tense. Again, I'm, I'm pointing that out throughout this list. Because, again, these qualities are about noticing God changing an individual. God, is, God doesn't give us his resume and not prepare candidates for it. He actually prepares those candidates. And so that is also in this office. They are not to be violent, but gentle. goes without saying, but also not to be quarrelsome. Elders are not to be people who go out looking for fights. They need to have courage to fight when it's necessary, but they are not to be fight pickers. Every moment, every elder has moments where they disagree with others, disagree with other elders. Because they're human like anyone else. But just because someone disagrees with you or I, Christian, does not mean that we need to fight them or attack them. This is something that is being lost in our reactionary culture. We, we have now established in the internet and all sorts of things, elements that allow hypercriticism to thrive. And most of the time when these disagreements arise in the community, Nine times out of ten, they're not really a problem or a biblical problem. It's really more of a problem of immaturity. Ultimately, elders need to not uh, pick fights. Kind of inability to disagree with each other. It's not just destroying our country, but it's destroying churches everywhere. I actually, and this is for another sermon, I know a church that literally split into two over a herd of cows. You heard me right. Over a herd of cows. More on that in another sermon. Don't be a fight picker. I mean, think of that. Just 
Yeah, we had a great reformation in our church over a herd of cows. Next is a lover of money. There is obvious application here. No one should enter the ministry in order to get rich. It means most of the guys on TV are, are dismissed as real pastors right out of hand. But also there's another subtle reality here. Elders cannot be people who customize pastoral care packages based on somebody's contributions to the church. That's, that can't be a motivator. Then uh, you could read about the problem of that in Judges chapter 17. You are just someone then serving for 10 shekels in a shirt in such situation. It is a godless practice. Money cannot be a temptation. Then verses five, 4 and 5 really cover the management abilities of an overseer. Uh, for a better lesson on this, you should have been at Sunday school of Bruce if you were not. But... One thing we need to appreciate is when the Bible talks about household, it was larger than what we normally think of households today. Often your business, your workers, they would be connected to your household. It was, so there is a managerial element to that, and that's helpful to understand because for the single elder, a single elder candidate still has had some form of managerial experience in their life, and so you evaluate that. But ultimately, the defining qualities is that in their leadership, they, they have dignity, basically a weightiness to them, but also, and so there's a gravity there, but also they, people, they know how to lead. And this is seen in the household. I can think of all kinds of pastoral pastors who their congregations loved them and that there were warning signs in their family that should have told them what was coming. The household has a unique priority. They have a commitment, a sustained commitment to running the household and running it with wisdom. When it comes to submissive children, for instance, I've seen plenty of children submissive because they were raised by overbearing parents. But as we were kind of fleshing out in Sunday school, there is a balance to this. Children need parameters, but they also need grace and freedom. And even there's a reality where we... And, and by the way, you're one or the other as a parent. You're either the, the heavier parameter person or you're the, the free will or freedom person. And the only perfect parent is a parent who's on the spectrum on going from one extreme to the other for a brief moment in time. And so, ultimately, an elder candidate in their household should show the wisdom of both being someone who establishes within their household clear parameters, but also is gracious and provides gracious freedom as well, that they show a dignity and respect for their children. By the way... If in a household your children have unfettered access to the internet, how can you show, tell if they are in submission to your authority? I throw that out there. Next is really a great point churches need to be careful with. I even think about my, my uh, early walk in Christ. When somebody is a recent convert, they are on fire for the Lord often. I was studying God's word sometimes 
nine, ten hours a day. I had no job in ministry or something. I just loved to study. And I remember people early on, not out of a maliciousness or anything, they were trying to encourage me to go into the ministry. I wasn't ready for it. I still don't think I'm really ready for it, but I'm doing it now, so we all got to live with it. But I wasn't ready for that. And we need to be wise to allow, and as this passage really these last two verses on elder make clear to allow the person to develop and grow and mature in a way that both the community and the surrounding community can see God's work in the individual and everybody wants to know what how, what's the time frame for this I, I don't want to give a time but maybe I'll give a minimum that's probably likely three years why do I say three years well the disciples had how many years Three years. Women are going to be in Galatians soon. Galatians chapter 1. There's a little bit of debate here, but how much time did Paul spend in Arabia? Three years. Some speculate maybe he was preparing himself for the role that he would serve during that time. So a minimum of three years. But really, there is, as we looked at in Titus chapter 2, a maturing that needs to happen. It, it's You're not doing someone a favor if you rush them in when they're young to do too much at, at once. Young in the faith. It's, it's not an age thing, but it's a time that they can be blessed and also the fruits of the Spirit can be shown. And so, that's God's classified at. That's the standard in brief of what God wants his elders, those who we call to be elders here at the congregation, for them to follow the pattern by which they follow. And it's a standard that in many ways, as we've recognized, is an impossible standard for us. And yet we know it, it has been done. There has been the perfect elder because we know our Lord Jesus has come for our sin and for our salvation and his perfect righteousness has been handed to us. And so when it comes to an elder, really the summary of it all is that there are to be men who stand on the truth of the awesome reality that God came for us in order to save us, in order to bless us, in order to sanctify us for our sin and for our salvation. And they keep looking to him through all the landmines that are there, all the, the potential dangers that, that we need to take heed of at any time. They keep looking to Christ in their faithful walk so that the poison of sin might not overwhelm them and so that they might have salvation in the Lord. And so... And that's really the call, while an overseer is called an overseer, that's really the call for all of us. This is nothing just found in the elder office. And so what that ultimately means is nominate men whom will help you walk that path, who will help you follow the truth of God's word, who are not ashamed of the gospel and not ashamed of Christ, for in these days, there is no king in America. 
and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, except for those who base their life upon the precious word of our saving Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the ultimate elder, the ultimate overseer, that is the head of the church, Christ our Lord. You call elders to an impossible task outside of your saving grace and mercy and power of sanctification. Help us at Old Goshenhop and prayerfully consider whom you may have prepared for us to come in and to serve as an elder within this flock. Help bless it, Lord, and help protect us from foolishness. Help protect us from not appreciating the standards of your resume. Help us to be grounded ultimately in your word when it comes to praying upon these matters. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.